Hey there, I'm Ruby Jones, the host of 7am. Over the past six months, I've been working on a new project. It's called Everybody Knows, and it's a five-part podcast series investigating what happened to the Me Too movement in Australia. Over the course of the series, I'll speak to key figures, including survivors, lawyers on both sides, and the journalists who broke some of the first Me Too stories in Australia. The series also covers my story, as I try and uncover allegations of harassment and bullying in the Australian music industry. Today on 7am, we're sharing the first episode of Everybody Knows. You can follow the series in its own feed, just search for Everybody Knows. Thanks for listening. Um, cool, so are you in a spot in your house that's like comfortable and everything? Yeah, yeah. Does it sound okay? Because I've got my AirPods in. Sometimes they are um, a bit funny. It actually sounds pretty good. Um, so one second. So- it's an August evening and I'm on a call that I've been waiting to make for a long time. Thanks for being so patient with me throughout this whole process. No, really. I, I understand. It. I know. It's just- with a woman whose name is Tamara. I mean, I've decided to talk about this because, you know, I have, I've been through a lot when I worked at Sony and... I see that they For months, I've been searching for people to talk to me about a major music label. No one would. There's a lot of people who I respect aren't ready to come forward and they aren't ready to talk about what they've experienced and I can understand that. For so long, I'd heard rumours about how bad things were for women there. But now someone was willing to talk on the record. The people you go to for help were protecting the people at the top and no one's really looking out for you. And talking to Tamara started to unravel this much bigger story. I will genuinely say working for that company ruined my life and my career. And the reason I'm speaking about this now is because I don't want this to happen to any other person because no employer should have the right to to do that to someone. From Schwartz Media and 7am, I'm Ruby Jones, and this is Everybody Knows. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to take you on my journey as I try and work out why it's so hard to report on sexual harassment and abuse. Every story that you do, and especially in this area, you have to say to yourself, all right, if I'm sued, how am I going to prove this? In an age of Me Too, Shouldn't women be able to speak about their experiences? Almost every woman who spoke to me was in fear of their careers. Two women were in fear of their lives. In America, we've seen Harvey Weinstein brought to justice. Convicted rapist Harvey Weinstein has been sentenced to 23 years behind bars. So why is it still so hard in Australia to name names? When did the Me Too stories here stop? What happened? And was it by accident or by design? The defamation laws in this country protect abusers. It's as simple as that. Are there any good options for a person who has been sexually harassed or assaulted? No, there are clearly no good options. This investigation, more than any other that I've worked on, is personal too. It's forced me to re-examine things in my own life and it's made me think about things that I'd been avoiding confronting until now. This is episode one, The Company. 
And a warning, this episode contains descriptions of sexual harassment. I want to go back to where this story starts. It's the end of 2020 and I'm at a friend's place in Fitzroy, an inner suburb of Melbourne. There's half a dozen of us here and someone else, a friend of a friend, says something about the music label Sony. She doesn't have specifics, but she says that I should be looking into the company. This is what it's like being a journalist at a party. People will tell you stories that they think you should cover, but then go a bit quiet on the details, or they say they'll ask a friend who might talk to you. Sometimes these tips work out, but mostly they don't. It's not long after this that I come across an Instagram account called Beneath the Glass Ceiling. The profile picture is a hand-drawn light fixture. In the image, you can't tell if it's turned on or not. You can't tell whether it's illuminated or if it's about to be. The posts are not about one label in particular. They're about the whole music industry. Most of them begin with the same words. They're marked in heavy text. Trigger and content warning. Toxic culture, abuse of power, cover-ups, sexual harassment. So I'm just going to flick through. Um, During my time at this company, I was bullied, belittled, sexually harassed and objectified by my direct manager. The drinking culture, the boys' club, the nepotism, the affairs, the abuse of power, the sex sells mentality, the all-male executive team. Quote, I know exactly who the other posts are talking about with the group of boys and the music family. I know other girls have been paid off by their label and I am terrified but I don't want this to ever happen to anyone else. I know a few people in the music industry. Some of them are musicians, there's some music writers, a few promoters. I call them and I ask them about the account. Hey, what's up? Hey, Shard, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Hello. Hey, Tomo, it's Ruby. Hello, how are you going? Uh, I'm good, how are you? Okay, I'm just going to... Put my phone on. I'm just hoping to have a chat to you about the music industry. If you have, what do they think of the stories being posted? Is this really what it's like in the music industry? And every single one of them says yes. I just remember thinking, I know that story, and then I think I know that person. Or more than that, the reality is worse than you think. It's worse than what's being posted. Some of them tell me their own stories. They also start giving me the names of other women I should talk to, as well as some men they think I should look into. And there's also a lot of speculation, a lot of rumours about who is behind the account, who is the person or people who have this kind of insider knowledge, and also the bravery to post these stories about their own industry. Oh, yeah, I might just take my phone off because I think it vibrates. So let's take it off. There's one name that comes up again and again, Poppy Reed. She works for Rolling Stone, Australia. How intense is the interest in that page, would you say? Every time there's a new post, there's multiple private discussions mm. um, in WhatsApp groups and Facebook messenger groups, uh, face-to-face when you, when you go to an industry event. Did you see the latest post? Yeah. Who do you think that's about? Yeah. Or we all know who that's about and there's a knowing look between two women. And... 
Some people think it's me. It's so great. I love that. Some people come Is up it to you? No, it's not me. Um, I... People in the industry are keen to know who runs the account, but to me the more important question is, who are the stories about? What's been really interesting about that account is when they do multiple posts about what is clearly the same person or the same organisation. That was really, really powerful. Um, Poppy agrees to help me. She tells me there's someone else I should talk to, someone who ends up becoming very important to this story. But right now, at the start, this person isn't sure what they want to say. They're feeling me out, deciding whether or not they can trust me. Um, so I'm in Sydney. Um, I've just called an Uber and I'm on my way to meet with... A person. Poppy, me and this third person meet at a cafe in Glebe. At first, this other person doesn't say much. She's got a gentle presence, she seems sweet, she's wearing all black and has perfectly formed winged eyeliner. But when she does start talking, she doesn't stop. I learn that she used to work at Sony. She tells me about the head of Sony, Dennis Hanlon. He's been running the company for more than 30 years. She says he's powerful, that he has a lot of sway at ARIA, the Australian Recording Industry Association. And I should point out right now, there are no accusations of sexual harassment against Dennis. This award was made possible by um, so many great men and women in my team. Dennis Hanlon. He's famous for being the person who every Sony artist thanks at the ARIA Awards each year. Delta Goodrum, yes. To Dennis Hanlon and everyone at Sony, to Modest Management. Guy Sebastian. Dennis and Pat and everybody at Sony. Jessica Malloy. My uh, record label, Sony Music, to Dennis Hanlon. Thank you for letting me be me. He's extremely well connected. Not that long ago, he was photographed on Alan Jones's super yacht, along with politicians like Tony Abbott and Mark Latham. She says that the men at Sony and the other major labels, as well as those at the big radio stations, essentially run the Australian music industry. And she starts to tell me about what can happen to women at places like that. I realise that Sony is where this story is and that the story is more than a Me Too story. It's not only about sexual harassment. It's about workplace culture, about bullying, intimidation... And those things are more insidious, more difficult to prove, easier to dismiss, and more pervasive. I realise I'm not reporting on a person, I'm reporting on a company, one of the most powerful companies in Australian music. Testing, testing... So I'm on my second trip to Sydney um, to do a few things. Including I fly to Sydney again. This is where Sony's Australian headquarters are. And the Airbnb I'm staying in happens to be right next to their offices. I meet a few people, but no one wants to go on the record. And this is the problem with trying to tell these kinds of stories in Australia right now. There's so much fear and the potential legal consequences are very real. Some women I speak to have signed legal documents. Others are worried about their careers if they speak publicly. Others say they will talk to me and then they cancel. There are a few people who I was hoping to talk to um, while I was here 
and I'm not really hearing much back from them. I don't really know why that is. I start to wonder how I'm going to report this story because it can't be told without these women. Every Me Too story, for better or worse, relies on women being brave enough to speak about their experiences. The trip hasn't gone as well as I'd hoped. I head back to Melbourne and when the plane lands, I switch on my phone. A close friend has sent a link to a story. It's just gone up on the Sydney Morning Herald site. It's about an executive at Sony called Tony Glover. He's just been fired. Um, so I'm just going to say, hi, Tony, I'm Ruby, I'm a reporter. He might just be like, where the hell did you get my number? In which case I'll just tell him who gave it to me. Um, I've looked into Tony Glover. He worked at Sony for three decades. There's a photo of him at the top of the Herald story. He's got blonde-tipped hair and he's smiling. The piece says Tony was fired after a three-week internal investigation found evidence of bullying and harassment. The article quotes an anonymous source who says it was common knowledge not to be alone with Tony when he was drunk. I decide to call him. OK, let's see if he answers. Tony Glover doesn't answer or call me back, but the journalist who wrote the story about him does. Hi. Oh, hello, Nathaniel. How are you? His name is Nathaniel Cooper, and he's been covering the industry for a while. So my interactions with Tony over the years had always been really pleasant. I found him very friendly and knowledgeable, and I'd always had a great time chatting to him about music. So that was my experience with Tony. Obviously, the people that I spoke to and the people that made complaints against him had a very different and a very horrible experience with him. Another woman, also anonymous, is quoted as saying Tony had grabbed her ass twice. Tony is quoted too, denying the allegations. Tony Glover's exit, the fact that a person has been fired from Sony because of misconduct, is a sign things might be shifting. I want to know more about how this happened, what Nathaniel knows about what's going on inside Sony right now. For a while they wanted to let the investigation run its course and uh, tried to stop the story for as long as possible and then they engaged very expensive lawyers to have very long arguments with our lawyers. Um, you know, there were also, you know, I heard things that were being said about me, I heard things that were being, um, like rumours that were being spread about what I was doing and um, it, was very, it, was all, it was a very weird time. Everyone in Nathaniel's story is anonymous. At this point, no woman at Sony, former or current, will go on the record. One big reason for that is NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Signing an NDA typically means signing away your right to talk about a certain set of events. There's a few things a person might receive in return for signing. One is money. Another is an agreement that they won't be spoken about or bad-mouthed at all by the other party. Sometimes people sign them because pressure is put on them and they just want to get out of a bad situation. 
However it happens, the end result is the same. There's a legally enforceable document preventing them from talking to me or anyone else. Breaking an NDA isn't something that people do lightly. They have a really intimidating effect on people. But it can be done. And despite the barriers, I am still hearing things. Behind the scenes at Sony, it seems like there are some things in motion. There's journalists asking questions. The pressure is on. I hear from a source that a complaint has been made to Sony headquarters in New York. And that complaint has kicked off something people inside the company have wanted for a long time, a broader internal investigation into the whole enterprise. How are you feeling just with the general pressure of, of asking people to um, re-approach and relive traumas? Yeah, I... I actually feel quite torn because it's quite clear to me at this point that what has happened at the company should be exposed. I've been investigating this for weeks now and I'm at a bit of a crossroads. I've spoken to so many current and former Sony employees at this point and there are so many stories that need to be told, but getting to the point where I can tell them feels impossible. So I meet with my boss, the editor-in-chief, Eric Jensen just because of the Mm. volume of stories now and the time span in which this has happened, I think it seems to me like it's a very broken company and has broken a lot of people. And so there's a part of me that is actually really just like, this needs to be told. Mm. Um, But then I also, yeah, I'm feeling a bit, I think, just emotionally exhausted by it and also... I feel really bad for Mm. all of these people. I really genuinely feel terrible for them and I can tell that they're in the middle of trauma, a lot of them, Um, and I don't want to make that any worse for them. I don't want to do anything that will traumatise victims any further. Part of the larger problem here is that so much falls on victim survivors to tell these stories, to put their trauma on display over and over again. And often I know that telling these stories has so little impact anyway. In fact, it can harm them. It can harm their career. It can open them up to potential legal action. As I'm thinking through all of this, there's some big breaking news about Sony. One of Australian music's most powerful men has been unceremoniously ousted today as the chief executive and chairman of Sony Australia. The head of Sony the most powerful man in the music industry, leaves the building. Dennis Handlon, who spent 50 years with Sony and its predecessors, has been removed as the company investigates workplace culture. It's a massive shock. I jump into the studio with my producer, her name is also Ruby, to talk about it. Pretty big news this morning. So we've just seen that Dennis Handlon has resigned as Chief Executive of Sony Music Australia and New Zealand. Um, So there's a very short piece about it. Um, Oops. um, Sorry, that was actually just someone messaging me back um, saying that they'll talk to me. Oh, really? Yeah. So as soon as I saw the story, I messaged um, someone who I've been speaking to to see if they 
people chat to me um, and they just replied saying that they will. That's amazing. Oh, wow. They've actually just sent me something. <laughs> they've sent me, well. What have they sent you? Uh, it's the internal statement that's been sent to Sony Music stuff. What does it say? Um, it says, hi, everyone. I'm writing to let you know that Dennis Hanlon will be leaving Sony Music Entertainment after more than 50 years with the company, effective immediately. It's time for a change in leadership and I will be making further announcement in terms of the new direction of our business in Australia and New Zealand in due course. Mm. My team and I will be speaking further to your team leaders about this process throughout the week, but at this point I wanted to let everyone know that this new this news... Oh, sorry, I wanted to let everyone know this news at the same time. We mm. thank Dennis, blah, 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 blah. Wow. Okay. What do you, what Dennis leaving the company changes my investigation. It doesn't happen immediately, but bit by bit, my sources become more bold. And finally, one of the women I spoke to right back at the start at that cafe in Sydney, the one who didn't want to talk on the record, she's ready. She agrees to talk. Um, can you hear me tomorrow? Yes, I can. Can you talk at all about the reasons um, for, for not speaking and kind of what's changed your mind about talking about it? I've decided to talk about this because, you know, I have... I've been through a lot when I worked at Sony and I see that they... These music companies still hire a lot of young people and I just don't want this to happen to anyone else. After the break, Tamara's story. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Tamara is the woman I met for breakfast in Glebe, the woman with the winged eyeliner. She started out at Sony as an unpaid intern in 2011. She was 25. She says that right from the very beginning, she was made aware of Dennis Hanlon's power. I guess the consensus in the building was he was a very powerful man and he should be respected, understandably. Um, When I was an intern, I was asked or told by other interns not to approach him He didn't have time to talk to us and so forth. After nine months interning, Tamara got a full-time job as a label coordinator and personal assistant. A year and another promotion after that, she attended a boardroom meeting with her new department. I have a memory of my first boardroom 
meeting with the creative team and with Dennis and I walked in with another woman and went to sit at the board table and she grabbed my arm and said, no, no, we sit back here on the couch. And um, given there were spare seats at this table, I thought it was quite strange that we weren't allowed to sit there. But um, I think with a lot of the older women in the building, it was a generational thing, but they'd been around so long, they just knew the way that Dennis liked things to run in that office. And when you say we, is that women would be on the couches? Yes, me and the other woman there. Uh, all of the men sat at the board table and we just listened. Right. And can you tell me any more about how Dennis ran those meetings? I mean, everyone would hang off his every word, I guess. He's the most powerful man in the music industry, so everyone would listen to what he'd have to say. He'd lead the meeting. As Tamara progressed at Sony, she was involved in running events. She says as part of that, she would have to make sure that people knew who Dennis was. We'd have often have like a VIP area for him with a little red rope uh, sectioned off and uh, we'd often have to ask for the most attractive, beautiful, young, often blonde girl to kind of manage that rope, lifting the rope and closing the rope. Because of how powerful he is, people try to anticipate what Dennis Hanlon wants. You get the sense that the whole industry was shaped around him. Definitely witnessed people getting on the wrong side of Dennis and him saying, I will ruin them, they'll never work in music again, or screaming those words. It's quite quite terrifying as a young girl in your 20s sitting there hearing the most powerful man in music say that because... All that's running through your mind is, oh, God, I don't ever want that to be me. How could, like, how can I make sure that that's not me? When the stories about Dennis Hanlon leaving Sony break in June, they send shockwaves throughout the industry. But Dennis stays quiet. No one hears from him publicly. Until now. I try to get a response from Dennis. And a couple of days before this episode is due to go out, I get it. He sends a one-page letter. In it, he says he's bound by both contractual and general obligations of confidentiality as a former director and chairman and CEO of Sony Music, and therefore is not in a position to respond to the specific matters you raise. He says that he's always provided support and encouragement to women in the industry and personally championed diversity. He says he promoted women as artists and employees and points to the fact that by the time he left Sony, 11 of the 15 senior management positions at the company were held by women. He says he always encouraged people and, in particular, interns. But he goes further. He says there were instances of sexual misconduct and that he acted to put a stop to them. And he described exactly what that looked like. These are his words. I would never tolerate treating women in an inappropriate or discriminatory manner. At any time I was made aware of this sort of behaviour, I took action to ensure that was stopped and didn't occur again. Over the years, this included seeing people at all levels and all seniority leave the company. With issues of sexual misconduct, I always took immediate action, in accordance with the law and best practice in the interests of those involved in such traumatic and disturbing events. 
He says he engaged lawyers and external advisers to carry out independent inquiries and offered counselling. But the specifics, he says, are confidential. If I want to know more, I should speak to Sony. This statement from Dennis is a big deal. Not only is it the first time he's made public comments since leaving Sony, he's actually telling me that there were instances of sexual misconduct at the company over the years and that they involved people at all levels and seniority. No one as senior as Dennis Hanlon has ever been this explicit before. I have heard stories of harassment at Sony. One of them involves Tamara. It's not about Dennis, and a reminder, there are no accusations of sexual harassment against him. But there's a lot of executives who've worked under Dennis. He'd been in charge at Sony for more than 30 years, and in that time there have been countless men managing departments, running operations, getting promotions. Not all of them have done the wrong thing, but some of them have. I mean, if you consider the Arias, which was the biggest event of the year... You would just see so many of these men, and these are married men, um, just all over these young women. Either that or the artists just hanging off these young women, quite intoxicated, slurring their words. I mean, I've experienced it myself, and I I didn't think I would, but I did, and it just it was one of the worst experiences I've ever been through in my career, and I'm still recovering from it. This experience, Tamara tells me it happened one night at after-work drinks. She says at one point, someone senior to her was drunk and he leaned over her and said, Did you know I'm doing your performance review tomorrow? And I said, oh, okay, um, because I, I wasn't aware, but I just said, oh, okay, that's, that's exciting. It, I think it was my first performance review with that department I was so excited. I just remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I can finally talk to someone about my future here. And I just remember he, after he asked me if I knew he was doing my review, he then leaned over me, looked down my top and said, well, if your review was based on your physique, you get top marks and kept staring down my top at my chest. And I remember like pulling my top up, um, being quite overcome with just, I don't know. I just, my whole career felt like it had just amounted to nothing in that moment and it was just all about what he thought of me physically Uh, and I realised he's never going to see me as an equal or as someone that could, you know, be taken seriously here Um, and I just, you know, thought why, why did I ever work for this company? Like why, why am I here? Um... So, yeah, it was pretty devastating and it was such a quick thing that happened. I remember just I just left. I, I left straight away. I was so upset. I came home in tears. The next day he did my performance review as if nothing had happened. I was just devastated and I'm still, you know, I struggle to work with male employers now and I struggle to trust them and my career's just never really been the same. Like I lost a lot of my ambition and to him it was probably, I mean, I don't even know if this man would remember it to this day, 
he made a comment while he was drunk. It meant nothing to him. He's moved on. And for me, when that happened, it kind of felt as though mine just stopped and I just stopped fighting for it, really. Over the next few years, the build-up of experiences at Sony wore Tamara down. Eventually, she had enough and she left the company. She's worked in a few places since then, but she's struggled to rebuild her sense of self and her mental health. She tells me she still gets panicky if she so much as walks past the Sony building in Sydney. I will genuinely say working for that company ruined my life and my career. And the reason I'm speaking about this now is because I don't want this to happen to any other person because no employer should have the right to to do that to someone. I asked Sony about the kind of culture that Tamara described and the specific allegations she made about the company. They declined to comment. Tamara isn't the only person to have an experience like this at Sony. Certainly, she wasn't the first. There's still so many stories spanning decades that haven't been shared yet. Um, So I do hope more people continue to come forward. Other women have begun to come forward. I'm aware of five women who have stories of bullying or misconduct about another man at the company. At least three of those women have contacted the people running the internal investigation at Sony, the one led by the New York office. It makes me quite nervous and I think it's why no one's spoken out to date because we've been so powerless. Junior staff members in these companies are powerless to a degree because there's never been anyone we could call upon for help. The people you go to for help were protecting the people at the top and no one's really looking out for you as you know, the little guy and these music companies. So, and this is not just across record labels. It's everywhere. As I tell this story, I realise that all of the issues that I'm coming up against, all of the legal barriers and the fear that these women feel, they've been there since the very first Me Too stories were told, back in the final weeks of November 2017. These barriers are built into the system. And to understand them, I need to go back to the stories that launched Me Too in Australia. When you go back and read his story, alarm bells were tingling throughout. We've got a list of about 30 to 40 offenders so far, but we're going to target the top two or three. One of them in particular has been offending for about 40 years. And so what happened after you sent that email? Um, I wish I could say anything, um, but absolutely nothing. That's the next episode of Everybody Knows. Everybody Knows is brought to you by 7am and Schwartz Media. The show is produced by Ruby Schwartz. Osman Faruqi and Claire Rawlinson are the executive producers, with special thanks to Madison Connaughton. Eric Jensen is editor-in-chief. Mixing and sound design by Atticus Basto. Our theme music is an original composition by Rainbow Chan. Additional reporting in this series by Ruby Schwartz. Episode 2 will be in your feed this Saturday, September 4. 
make sure you're following Everybody Knows in your favourite podcast app. And if you want to get in touch, you can contact me over email. Everybody Knows Podcast at protonmail.com. I'm Ruby Jones. Thanks for listening. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com.